We're going to continue in our study in the book of Romans this morning, and so I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 21 today. When I saw that this was the text that we would be coming to in Romans, I thought it was actually a very good fit for Palm Sunday. When we think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and knowing all that was going to await Him that week, knowing how the cheers that received Him on Palm Sunday would later in the week turn to jeers as people called for His crucifixion. What did Jesus do? He overcame evil with good. And He triumphed for our sake and conquered over sin and death and Satan. And so we're going to be looking at a passage today that instructs us on how we can overcome evil with good in our world as well. Let's take a look at this passage I'd like to read for you. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and following. Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we look to you for strength and for wisdom and insight into our world, situations that we face friendships and working relationships and opportunities that we have for the sake of the gospel. And I pray that you would teach us today by your Holy Spirit and show us how this passage of Scripture applies to each one of us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. What impact is the church having on the community? That was a question that Robert Lewis asked one Saturday at a mall near his church. Robert Lewis is the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. and he was, uh, He's a pastor of what would be considered a large and successful church in that city. And yet he wondered about the impact that they were having upon the community. And so he decided on a particular Saturday to do an informal survey down at the mall. And he stopped people and he asked them if they would mind giving him an opinion of what they thought about the church or its uh, impact on the community. And the answers that he found that day were actually disappointing. You know, many didn't even know the church was there. Or when they thought about the church... In general, they couldn't think of something that the church was doing in their community that was of significance. There were also many who saw the church as negative in terms of what they thought of the church. Uh, They thought of the church more in terms of what it was against rather than what it was for. There are people who saw the church as against things like against abortion or against homosexuality rather than being for life or for marriage or for the family or for those who are poor and needy. 
And so began a journey for that church in Little Rock to become what they would call a church of irresistible influence. A church that would choose to let the light of Christ shine through them and to make a difference in their community in very tangible ways. A couple of years ago in our leadership planning time, we took a look at that book, The Church of Irresistible Influence, to think of how that could apply to our setting here. You see, I believe that Jesus has called His people to be a church of irresistible influence. To be an attractive and savoring influence in our world so that we might introduce others to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I mean, think about what Jesus said in the Scripture. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Trust me to lead you. Let me work through you and I will use you to draw others to myself. He said, you are the light of the world. I want you to let your light shine in this world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. We are to be a savoring influence for good in our world. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That the church is to have that kind of influence in our world that Satan will not be able to overcome it, but the church will overcome what is going on in our world for the sake of the kingdom. Those are powerful verses, statements from Jesus as to what the church is to be like in this world. But how does that happen? How can a church and how can Christians make a difference in their community or in their world? Well, I believe that at least part of the answer is found in a chapter like Romans 12. I mean, this has been an amazing chapter as we have walked through it together. I I look at this and I think, you know, you could spend the rest of the year chewing on Romans chapter 12 and it would be of great profit to all of us. But when I think about how a church has a, a savoring influence in the world or makes an impact for Christ, Romans 12 really covers it well. We began by looking at verses 1 and 2 that talk about offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That's where it all starts. We commit ourselves to the Lord and say, Here I am, Lord. Use me. And in verses 3 to 8, we talked about using our gifts for His glory, that He has given to each one of us spiritual gifts that are to be used to build up the body of Christ, that are to be used in ministry to be an encouragement to others. We all have at least one spiritual gift that we can use in His service. He called us to love one another in the body of Christ. In verses 9 to 13. And when you think about that, if we are going to invite people to follow Christ, if we are not healthy, if we're not growing in our own relationship with Christ, if we are not working together in love and harmony, we're not going to prevent, present a very attractive witness to the world, are we? You know, studies are done time and time again on the church that all come to the same conclusion. The primary reason people come to church is because of a personal invitation from somebody else. It's because somebody in the church took the initiative to invite a friend and say, Come on, you got to see what's happening. Come on and join us as we worship. Or let me tell you what God's doing. And it is because of the enthusiasm or excitement of members who invite their friends to come to church that a church grows. And the the corollary is also true that if a church is not growing, it's because people have stopped inviting. If a church isn't growing, people have stopped inviting and bringing their friends. 
And then we need to ask the question, what's wrong or why is that happening? Churches grow as we take the initiative to reach out and introduce others to Christ. But the fourth thing that we see in this chapter as we've uh, proceeded through it is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we are to even love our enemies. Now, if it is difficult to love one another in the body of Christ, and you know that there are challenges that can come with that from time to time, and just loving one another in the body of Christ, it is impossible for us to love our enemies apart from God's grace and power in our life. We will not do it. But God has called us to do that. And where did Paul get this idea? He got it from Jesus Himself who in the Sermon on the Mount said that we are to love our enemies and we are to pray for those who persecute us. Those are amazing words and instructions from Jesus who has called us to go beyond what we would naturally do and to love even our enemies. So how do we love a hostile and skeptical world? And I state it that way because I know that there are believers in parts of the world that are suffering great persecution. There are believers every single day who are dying simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't experience it in that way in our world. But we do experience a world that is often skeptical of the church, has doubts about the church or about Jesus Christ, who has questions, who doesn't see the value in it sometimes? And how do we love a world that is both hostile and skeptical of the gospel? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I believe the way that we do that begins by having a new vision. That we need a new vision. And we need to see people as Jesus sees them. I think that's what the Church of Irresistible Influence tried to do in Little Rock, Arkansas, when they began to look at their community and look for needs and ways that they could specifically address helping people in their community. Whether it was going in and cleaning up a park or painting a school or helping in some other project in the community, they began to look at things differently and see how they could get outside of the walls of the church to be a witness for Christ in terms of what they were doing. Now, when Paul wrote these verses to the church in Rome, he knew that they were experiencing persecution, literally. In fact, they were on the front end of what would be one of the worst waves of persecution in the history of the church, as in just a few years, the emperor Nero would put to death many of the believers. And so here they were faced with this great challenge. And what does Paul instruct them to do? He says, I want you to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How do you do that with people that are trying to put you to death? You know, we don't face that kind of threat. Persecution for believers in America may be more subtle from put-downs and slights to more open rejection or mistreatment. But it is there. And there are times when maybe you have felt that from classmates at school or from someone that you work with, kind of a disdain or a contempt for Christ. It is still there because we live in a world that doesn't understand who Jesus is and who has rejected the gospel many times. 
And so he calls us to be a blessing instead in this community. The natural response, you know, when there is persecution or oppression can be to want to strike back in the same kind. If someone hates you, it can be to respond with hate. It can feel like that in our flesh. We want to get even if somebody has hurt us. But Jesus says, don't do it. I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. The word bless here means literally to speak well of someone. Now that doesn't mean saying of our enemy that he's a really great guy, you know. It's like uh, somebody's beating you up and you're going, well, isn't he a wonderful guy? But it does mean that we will pray for them. It does mean that we look at them through God's eyes and we pray that God will change their heart and draw them to himself. I think of Stephen, who was the very first martyr in the book of Acts. What did Stephen do when he was being put to death? He had shared his testimony. He had pointed people to Christ. And he was hauled out of the city to be stoned to death. And as he is being put to death, he calls out and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. It was an amazing act of grace on his part to be able to pray that way. But many years later, Augustine would note that we owe Saul's conversion, at least in part, to the prayer of Stephen. But Saul was there that day when Stephen was being stoned to death and Saul gave assent to that. But he saw and he heard Stephen offer this prayer of forgiveness even as he was dying. And I'm sure that Jesus Christ used that in Saul's life to at least cause him to think about these believers and the one that they worshipped. If we are going to love our enemies, that requires a change in us, a change in our heart. It requires empathy on our part. And Paul said here that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to mourn with those who mourn. One of the best ways that we can be a witness to someone is by entering into their joys and their sorrows. Understanding what's going on in their life and praying for them or expressing our sympathy, our concern. Maybe you have a neighbor that you've tried to reach out to that's having a very difficult time with the economy. Maybe there's someone who's lost a job or whose home is in foreclosure. And it could be an opportunity for you to reach out and love. Maybe you know a student who's going through a difficult time and he's been acting up or he's not been doing what he should in terms of schoolwork or activities and he's in trouble. And you know, you might be the only positive influence in their life. I mean, you might be the only one who's kind of a bright spot there who could be an encouragement and listen to them and pray with them or reach out to them in some way and God wants to use you to be a witness for Christ. It requires empathy on our part to look at life through their eyes and begin to enter into another person's world. It requires friendliness also, but even more than that, it's an ability to get along with people. Paul said that we are to live in harmony with one another. And when he talks about living in harmony, he's, he's calling to our attention the fact that there are people in our world, there are some people who are always cynical, there are people who are always looking for a fight, there are people who the uh, glass is always half empty, 
You know, it's just they have that kind of attitude about life. And Paul says, God has called us to be peacemakers. Or God has called us to be a positive influence. And sometimes you can do that just by listening, just by hearing another person's story and praying with them. Sometimes it's by example of what you say and do and how you respond to circumstances or things at work. But it requires that kind of ability to get along with people. And thirdly, it requires humility on our part. We are not to be proud or conceited, but we are to be willing to associate with people of low position, as Paul puts it here, even the least of these in our world. You know, there are times in our life when God may um, give us a picture of what that's like. And I thought about when Gail and I were first married. We had gone through uh, college. We were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. But coming out of college, we didn't have a lot. You know, that's just the way it is. You spend everything you had to try and get an education and get through in those years. And coming out, you don't have a lot. And we were part of a church in Massachusetts where there were uh, just a variety of people from occupations and professions. And one of the couples that attended the same church that we did, they were executives with Massachusetts Mutual. And uh, they one day invited us to their home. They had this beautiful home in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, just a lovely kind of estate. It was, you know, a, a pretty expensive area in which to live. And, you know, I remember Gail and I go over there, and I just, I was amazed that they would invite us into their home in one sense. It was an experience of grace and how in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter what your income is or position, that there can be fellowship and a comradeship or a partnership in the gospel because we were committed to the same thing. We're committed to lifting up Jesus Christ. We're committed to the mission of bringing Jesus to a lost world. And I just thought it was a picture for me at that point in my life of the graciousness of other people who had way more than we did, who were willing to reach out, and it didn't matter who you were or what you did, but they loved you and they accepted you in the body of Christ. You know, and God calls us to do that not only in the church, but He's also saying outside of the body of Christ that we are to be willing to associate with people who are different than us, people who come from different backgrounds or experiences or worldview or different income levels, that it doesn't matter. You know, I think today we have uh, white roses up here again. and Those are because of individuals from our church who have been going into the jails and the community and a prison ministry and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I was excited when I heard uh, Pastor Dan shared this morning about how much was given for the local food shelf. Uh, it's just a tremendous blessing. And the churches in our community have been uh, collecting food, and the food shelf over there is well stocked at this moment. But hunger is an ongoing thing. It's not just a one-shot deal, and those needs are going to continue through the summer and into the fall. And it's a reminder of how much good we can do even when we offer to help and bring food, and it is given in the name of Christ. You know, the Church of Irresistible Influence, again, looked for ways that they could be a bridge into their community. They asked God to open their eyes to see the people around them as He saw them. And that's what we have been praying about, too. 
And whether it is reaching out through things like the sharing shop or the car care ministry or classes that we've offered on marriage or personal finances or opening up our youth center to the students in our community, all of those are being done as a way to build a bridge for the sake of the gospel. And what I would ask each of you is, what is your role in that? What's your part? What could you do in your place of work or in your neighborhood to be a witness for Jesus Christ? To bring a friend to church? Maybe to invite them to come next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's to help with the youth in the youth center. Maybe it's to be a part of the sharing shop that's coming up as we collect food and distribute that and make that available for people in our community. Maybe it's a brand new idea that you have that God's put on your heart of how you could reach out to others. That's our desire. We need a new vision, but we also need a new heart. When I look at verses 17 to 21, I see these instructions, again, from the Scripture, that calls us to love people just like Jesus loves us. We need to love people just like Jesus loves us. And so Paul writes here, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. He talks about in verse 19, Don't take revenge, my friends. Leave that in God's hands. Leave room for God's wrath. He talks about uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that phrase needs some explanation. You know, it's not like you're going to do this and boy, then God's going to really get him. No, the burning coals, it's like a metaphor, a phrase expressing conviction. That perhaps by your responding in love to their hatred, God will convict their heart and bring them to a place of repentance. That God will soften their heart or cause them to think about what they have done and that they will come into a relationship with Him. And that's why Paul ends in verse 21 when he says, Don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. When I read these verses, I think of a story that I heard a number of years ago about the church in Afghanistan. It was told by J. Christie Wilson, who was a missionary in Afghanistan for many years. uh, Maybe you have connections like that too in your mind when you come to a particular passage of Scripture. There's a story connected with it. And here's the story that I want to share with you. J. Christie Wilson had been a chaplain during World War II in the military. And after those years of service, you know, like many in that uh, missionary force that went out after World War II, God sent them to the ends of the earth, and he felt God's call to go to Afghanistan as a missionary. He worked there for a number of years. And he said when he first came to Afghanistan, from those that were believers there, he heard this saying that when Satan fell to the earth, he fell in Kabul. I chuckled when I heard that because uh, being around the church for some time, I've also heard it said that when Satan fell to earth, he fell in the choir loft. And uh, that's why we have all the trouble with the worship wars and things like that. But here is a people who felt like Afghanistan. I mean, there's just been problems there for centuries and difficulties and fighting. Well, when Christy Wilson arrived in Kabul, they felt the power of evil very strongly. And they worked and they started a church. At first it was among uh, other uh, 
diplomats that were there and their children or families and there were others who gathered as Americans and they began to reach out and the church in Afghanistan was growing. They would meet in secret in homes. They would shut the curtains and close the doors and they would worship. The church began to grow. Christy Wilson said he had a church meeting in his home and it was small and he would stand in the doorway and he would preach to four different rooms as people kind of filled each of the room in their uh, each room in their house. And God was at work. And then came word in 1959 that President Eisenhower was going to be going to Afghanistan on an Asian tour. And an interesting thing that you may not know or not remember about President Eisenhower was that he was baptized after he became President of the United States. Uh, He had a godly mother who had prayed for him. In fact, she had named him Dwight after Dwight L. Moody, the evangelist. And she had prayed for him. And in those years when he was president, he made a commitment to Christ. He wanted to join the church, and so he was baptized as a believer at that time. Well, Christy Wilson knew his pastor. And he knew that in Washington, D.C., a new mosque had been built so that those who come from Muslim nations would have a place to worship in Washington, D.C. And so he wrote to this pastor for Dwight Eisenhower and he asked if President Eisenhower would ask the government of Afghanistan for permission to build a church in a reciprocal way so that those who were Christians could worship openly in that city. Well, the nation of Afghanistan, the government agreed to that. Uh, Funds were raised, construction began, and in 1970, this church was completed. But three years later, the government of Afghanistan changed their mind, and they tore it down. A German businessman who was a Christian and who was part of that congregation pleaded with the government to rescind the order, and they would not. On the day when the contractors came to destroy the church and there were soldiers and there were policemen there as well, the Christians did not oppose them. Instead, they did what this passage talks about, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And they served them tea and cookies while this was going on. And they spoke with the people that were there. Herbert Moore, who was this German businessman who had pleaded with the government, said to the mayor of Kabul, though, he said, if your government touches that house of God, God will overthrow your government. And on July 17, 1973, the government finished the work of destroying the church. And that very night, the Afghan government was overthrown in a coup. It had been a monarchy for 227 years. But that very night, the government was overthrown. And it has been in turmoil since. The Afghans who are quick to see omens and events said that Jesus Christ came down from heaven and overthrew the government because they overthrew His church. I think of those believers in Afghanistan who continue to pray for their country today. They did not retaliate. They prayed and they put this in God's hand and they trusted Him. There's a lesson there for all of us. A lesson that may be very personal for you today. 
that when we feel we are the victim of an unjust situation, there are two things that we must do. We must trust God and we must do what is right. We don't plot revenge and we don't harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart. We let it go and we do what is right. And we choose to live at peace with all men. The way Paul words it, though, recognizes that it is not always possible to achieve the kind of peace that we would like. In verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He wants us to take the initiative. He wants us to be peacemakers who work for peace. But he also understands that sometimes the other side's not going to move toward the middle, if you will, and work for peace. What do we do? We still put it in God's hands and we trust Him to work. I think of the story about Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general at the end of the Civil War. He was invited to the home of a Kentucky lady who took him out into the front yard of their home and showed him this grand old tree that had been destroyed, broken by Union artillery. And she was bitter about that. She was angry about it. And she wanted some sympathy or some word of condemnation to agree with her from General Lee. And when he thought about it and he looked at that tree, all he said to that woman was, he said, cut it down and let it go. Cut it down and let it go. There's a time to just give those things up. Don't let that destroy you or tear at your heart. Now let me say a couple things just for clarification about this. This does not mean that as Christians we should not fight injustice. Yes, we should take a stand against injustice. But what he's talking about is personal vengeance here, personal revenge, that there is no place for that. But there is a place for law and for government to step in. What he is saying to us is that the weapons of our warfare are different than the weapons of this world. That the way that we overcome evil is again by trusting God and doing what is good. We overcome evil by prayer and the Word of God. We overcome evil and hatred by love. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? I mean, think about this week when we walk through the events of Jesus' life. Jesus, they are ready to crown His King on Palm Sunday. But Jesus knew that He would lay down His life for the people. That He would be crucified, and yet He was willing to do that for your sake and mine. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 2.23, that when they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats, and instead He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. And from the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So what does this mean for you and for me? You know, I don't know what you're experiencing in your world today. I don't know if you're feeling any pressure at your work or school because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are. And maybe this is very relevant for you. 
I don't know if you're dealing with a relationship that you've tried to bring healing and you feel like there's still animosity and that hurts. And you would love to see peace. What I do know is this, that the way that we're going to overcome the evil in our world or the way that we're going to bring healing to relationships is by trusting God and doing what is right. It's by putting those situations or individuals in God's hands and we pray for them. And we ask God to change our heart and to help us to let go of the hurts or to see people as He sees them. And we do what is right in terms of whatever it is that God has called us to do to be obedient to Him in our world. We want to make a difference for Christ and we want to be salt and light. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the application for a message like this, I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning and show us what it is you want us to do, if there are steps that you want us to take in bringing healing to a relationship, if there's a friendship that you want us to begin or reach out to someone that we have noticed at our place of work or in our neighborhood, if there's a student you want us to begin to pray for, whatever it is, Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us now. And then, Lord, help us to be obedient to You. And would You work in each of these situations to bring healing, to shine the light of Jesus Christ on them, to bring others into a relationship with Yourself, and to use us to be a church that makes a difference in our world for Jesus Christ. We ask it for Your honor and glory. Amen.